Is Bella here today? Come on up front, Bella. We have a Bible here for Bella and a certificate because she was baptized into the Lord's Church. And so we're so happy to have you as part of the family. So we give you your Bible here today and just want to say welcome to the family again. Well, good morning. You guys look on the screen behind me, and it says Pinocchio. <laughs> When's the last time you've heard a sermon on Pinocchio? <laughs> I'm venturing it's going to say it's probably been a minute. Out of our kids that are here this morning, who's, you know, why, why do we know Pinocchio? What do we know about Pinocchio? Go ahead, say it, sweetie. He kept lying, and his nose got bigger and bigger. Absolutely. And see, I think more of us, uh, young and old, need to watch Pinocchio. You know, I bet. I, I wonder if, when you think about Pinocchio, if that was really a true story, how many of us wouldn't ever be able to? We wouldn't be able to function as a society because our noses would be so long. We'd literally be running into anything and everything all day and every day. And I wonder how many times that lying becomes so prevalent that maybe we tell so many different types of lies that, well, maybe we don't even realize that we're lying anymore. I wonder how prevalent you think lying really is in society. I wonder how, you know, uh, this is one thing I could tell you. You know that uh, lying is prevalent in society when we actually start to classify our lives. I mean, isn't that what we do? I mean, we have those little white lies, right, the little fibs that we tell. Is a little lie still a lie? Right? Is a, is, is a fib or a deception still, well, a lie? And the answer is yes. And so we're going to look at that here this morning. We're going to talk about Pinocchio, uh, not the movie, but we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about this. Because, you know, I really believe that this is something that's crucial. It's something that probably should be spoken of maybe about a little bit more. This morning, as we get into this lesson... Uh, it's so very crucial. Yes, it's applicable to everybody. Amen? But I really want our teens and our middle schoolers to pay attention this morning. Middle schoolers and teens, I want you to pay attention this morning. Because as we talk about this lesson here this morning, as we talk about this subject, we need to, to realize that there's something that we often talk about in the church called about the age of accountability. You guys ever heard that term, age of accountability? I wonder what we mean by age of accountability. Well, here, I'll tell you what we mean by it. Age of accountability means that when do you become responsible to the law? When do you become held accountable to the law of Christ? You see, brethren, it's very simple to understand whether you're held accountable or whether you're still in a safe state. Because if you're lower than the age of accountability, you're still kind of in that pure state, right? That not really fully understanding what sin is, not understanding the, uh, the ramifications, maybe not being able to really understand the law. But what happens when we, as maybe middle schoolers or high schoolers, who are not yet washed with the blood of Christ, who are not yet continue to be washed with the blood of Christ, so we're outside of the body of Christ, because maybe we're not no longer in that safe state, because we're pure and innocent anymore, what happens when I willfully start to do the opposite of what my mom and dad say to do. What happens when I willfully start to lie? 
What happens when I willfully gossip, slander, sexually active? Do I need to keep going on with the list? How many sins did it take for Adam and Eve to get booted out of the garden? One. How many sins does it take for us to no longer be in that pure state? How many? One. And so if we are committing sin, and we are willfully committing sin, knowing that sin is wrong, knowing that my lie, my gossip, my slander, knowing that it's wrong, am I still in a safe state? We're going to look to see what the Lord has to say here this morning. And I want us to understand this because I, I think sometimes some of our kids and some of our teens, I, I wonder if you think that because you grow up in a Christian family that, well, you're automatically saved. Because my mom and dad are Christians, and I go to church with them on Wednesdays and Sundays, so I must be saved. I must be good. I must be acceptable in the sight of the Lord. But I want us to see what the scriptures have to say about how we become acceptable in the sight of the Lord. I want us to see, does God even speak about lying? I want us to take a look at that here this morning, brethren. And I, wanted, I just wanted to kind of set the stage. And so our kids that are here this morning, middle school, high school, Parents, you know your kids best. I, I hope that you're having these conversations with them at home. For if we have teens and we have middle schoolers who are still not yet baptized, I want us to really think about if you have a love for Jesus and you admit that, yes, I have done these things and I have sinned against the Lord and I have violated the rules of the house and I have sinned, if I'm in a lost state, what do I need to do to rectify that? If you have a love for Jesus, it begins there. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you can be baptized for the remission of your sins. And it'll be a lifelong journey that you're going to grow and to mature into your faith. But the thing is, though, is when you do sin, when you are a member of the Lord's Church, we know that the blood of Jesus Christ continues to wash over us, cleansing us of any and all iniquity. And so we're going to look at this here this morning. I'm glad uh, that, that Miles, I just want to say where's Miles. Miles, you have done a fantastic job uh, with leading the singing here this morning. I'm so proud of you. Uh, Joe, the reading of scriptures, right? I'm so proud to see these young men that are up here that are willing to get involved in, in, in the service. But as we get into this lesson here this morning, it, it came to my mind because, well, I was reading some different uh, statistics. And you guys know I like, I like stats, I like statistics, right? Not just sports, but I like to really look at different things. And when I started thinking about the idea of Pinocchio and lying and how to craft a sermon that was really more geared towards our teens and our, and our middle schoolers, right? Because really you get to that seventh grade, eighth grade, right? That 12, that 13 years old. And I want you to see what this one study shows. This one study, it's actually called From Junior to Senior Pinocchios. And in this study, we're going to learn that teens um, lie more than any other age group. And we want to ask ourselves, why do teens lie more than any other age group? In this study, from junior to senior Pinocchios, it, it really it, it surveys 1,000 people, ages 6 to 77. And in this survey, it found that teens, by far, are more likely to lie than any other age group. Young children are least likely to lie, along with elderly. And I think part of that is because the young children are still innocent and pure. Anybody here have kids that ever go to Safety Town? Right? You guys know Safety Town is, right? And I remember how, like, my oldest son, Noah, he failed Safety Town, like, a couple times, right? 
And you're like, well, how can you fail Safety Town? Well, it was me failing him. Because we would go to Safety Town. They learned about stranger danger and all these different things, right? And everywhere we go, Noah, he was a little outgoing, and he would want to talk to anybody and everybody. I don't know where he gets it from. And so he would be talking to anybody and everybody, and, he, and we would try to explain to him about what he learned in Safety Town about stranger danger. And he said, why would somebody want to kidnap me? Why would somebody want to uh, uh, kidnap me or sexually assault me or abuse me? Like, like, I don't understand that, you know? Why? Because he's still innocent. He's still pure. And then there's the elderly who are least likely to, uh, to lie. You know why? Probably because this little thing called wisdom, right? Some life experience, learning from all the years that they've lived. And so the youngest amongst us and the, el and the oldest amongst us were the least likely to lie out of the thousand people that were surveyed. This isn't just one survey. There's many surveys and studies that have been done on this. And so you look at all of the information, and researchers found that the peak dishonesty uh, happens during the adolescent years. And so the adolescent years is really defined as uh, teenage years, right? When you start to get to that 6th, 7th, 8th grade, and then, and then and beyond. And so the research uh, showed not only that, but you have to ask yourself, why is it that teens tend to lie more than any other age group? And the information that they gave was because teens tend to push the boundaries as they're starting to kind of feel their way through life, and as they're starting to strive for independence, well, they start to push the boundaries a little bit. And as they start to push the boundaries a little bit, they start to lie because they have to cover up some of the, well, riskier things and choices that they have to make. Who here now in uh, middle age or older age, right, remembers your days back when you were in high school, back when you were in seventh, eighth grade? I'm here to tell you that the generation today is even far worse than the generation gone by. You think about the things that are happening in high school now are already happening in middle school. The things that used to be happening in middle school are now already happening in elementary school. And if you don't believe that, talk to your children about all the things that are happening. How many of the kids are sexually active? How many of the kids, you know what I mean, uh, are, they live such worldly lives because, well, that's the example that's set in and around them. And then because of peer pressures and other things, and because of them trying to find their independence and try to kind of make their way, these kids are starting to do some things, try some things, hang out with individuals that, well, God wouldn't really be pleased with. Their parents wouldn't really be pleased with. And so you ask yourself, teens, they start to push these boundaries. They start to do riskier behaviors. But during the teen years, they do these things because their brain's still immature. The brain still isn't fully developed, and as the adolescent brain develops emotional regulation as well as impulse control, they begin to approve as you get into your late teens, your early 20s. By, by your mid-20s, your brain is fully de developed. And so therefore, the teens, they have, well, less to lie about as they grow older. So that there's a reason why as you age and as you grow older and you have more experience in life and more wisdom, you have less to lie about. But you also notice, they also notice in the study that the teens start to become better communicators. Have you ever communicated with some teens when they're, especially the boys, when they're like 12, 13 years old versus, you know, maybe mid-20s? They start to become better communicators. They start to have less things to lie about. Why? Because they're not pushing the boundaries maybe as much as they once did. 
And so, brothers and sisters, this is such a serious topic this morning because I wonder how many Christians, people who identify with Christ, really don't even consider maybe lying to be that big of a deal. Well, I'm here to tell you that the lying, uh, lying as a subject or as a sin is probably almost universal in nature. Who here, by raise of hands, has never told a lie? You understand my point now? Who here has never told a lie? And there's not one hand that has gone up because lying, deception, deceit is almost universal in nature. And so if it's universal in nature, we know that it's become universal in nature because we start to classify our lies, right? We got the big lies and we got maybe more of the insignificant lies. The ones that, you know, if, if, if they find us out, oh boy, it's going to stir the pot. And the other ones, eh, not really a big deal, right? Do I, does this, does this dress make me look fat? Uh, right? I mean, hey, was that a good dinner? Uh, right? I, I mean, the, the list could go on and on about the questions and how you answer them and the examples that we could give. Did you know that even though as we grow older and we think about lying, the, the average study shows, and there's many studies you can go home and Google, the average adult lies three to five times a day. Three to five times a day. And some studies have that number up as high as 20. And remember, it didn't say the average Christian. It said the average adults. But I want us to think about situational things that maybe we don't even consider, like I said at the outset. How many situational things do we have to maybe where we lie, but we don't even realize we lie? I'm going to give you an old school example. You guys remember back in the day when people used to have uh, the, land, uh, the landline, right? I know a couple of you still have the landline, but back in the day when everybody had the landline, right? We didn't have, not everybody had the cell phones, only like the rich had the bag phone, right? That used to go in the car, you had to be, you had to be doing well for yourself to have the bag phone. But the point, and the kids are like, what is the bag phone? Ask your parents when you get home. But the point is, when you think about most people, when, they, when there wasn't the cell phone, right? There was either the pay phone or the landline. What's the first thing? The phone rings, and what's the first thing many of the parents used to say? Think about it. Huh? Tell them I'm not here. What did you just do? You just lied. And what, what, what example did you just give to your, ch to your child? Oh, it's okay to lie, right? How many situations do we lie, and how many instances do we maybe lie or tell what we consider fibs or white lies that we don't even necessarily consider lying, but we realize that they're lies because what is a lie? It's, a, it's, a, a, it's an attempt at deceit, at deception. Think about how you answer these questions. Maybe your teens or maybe the young adults, maybe some other people. Why were you late? Why were you late? Who were you with? Think about how you've answered these questions. Did you like the dinner? Have you finished your homework? Right? That's a good one. I know my kids have lied to me about that. How old are you? Everybody lies about that one, especially the ladies. Are you okay? Are you okay? Hey, it strikes a nerve because many of us lie about it, right? Or if you're smart, you just don't ask the ladies. Right? You don't ask your wife when she was on the scale, hey, how much do you weigh? Because they might not get the truthful answer. The point, though, is simple. There's situational things that maybe we don't really think we're lying, but we lie, and yet 
do we understand that we lied? You know, because we classify our lies, those that are more serious and those that are, well, less serious in our eyes. Do you need any help? Are you, are you okay? How often do we lie when people answer those questions? But do you, does it register in your mind that you just lied? You see, these are questions that we need to ask ourselves. Because if you start adding up instances like that, then maybe the average adult does lie three to five times a day. Maybe the number is higher, like some studies show. Hopefully not for Christians, but for the average person, the worldly person. Brethren, if the theory of evolution were true, and we really are just involved animals, well then who cares if you lie? Because, well, there is no moral standard, there is no moral code. But the fact that you're sitting here this morning listening to me tells me that you believe that we're not evolved animals, but we're actually created beings who are beholden to a God. And that God has a moral code. And we're spiritually beholden to that moral code. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, what does God say about lying? Let me show you. And the first passage of scripture on the screen behind me, it's in Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to look at a, uh, just a couple passages, Old Testament, New Testament. And there's literally dozens of passages you can look at. But I, I really feel, how many times does God have to say something for it to be true? Just once, right? He doesn't have to give me a whole, a whole list of examples. He just has to say it once. And if we know that uh, only one sin caused Adam and Eve to be booted out of the garden, and we know that one sin causes us to become separated from God, then we have to ask ourselves, middle school teens, are you still in a safe state? Only you can answer that question for yourself. But notice what it says in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are even an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. That just simply means proud, right? Arrogance. Haughty, pride, uh, prideful eyes. What does it say? A lying tongue. God hates a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters, again, lies. And one who spreads strife amongst brothers. Brethren, you look at Proverbs chapter 6 here, and notice that in this very short list of seven things that, that God says are an abomination, two of the things have to do with lying and deceiving. So I wonder, on our human scale, where lying in the grand scheme of sin doesn't usually rank that high, I wonder what God's scale says. What did God's scale just show how high lying actually ranks? You see, brethren, God is telling us that two of the six things or two of these seven things that I despise, that are an abomination, that are repulsive in my sight, are lying in those who bear false witness. What about the New Testament? Because, you know, Dave, we're not Old Testament Christians. We're New Testament Christians. Well, I'm glad you asked. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, the scriptures tell us, therefore, each of us must put off falsehood, speak truthfully, to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. You look at the Colossians, uh, when Paul wrote to the people of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9, do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil principles, its evil practices. What does it mean that you laid aside the old self? Well, I can tell you what that means. You know, when, you, when little Bella, she said, Dad, I wish to become a Christian. Mom, I wish to become a Christian. I wish to be baptized. 
Because I love Jesus, and I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. And, and, and I want to make sure that my sins are washed away. You know what she did? She decided to make Jesus the Lord of her life by going down into the water of baptism, by being have her sins washed away, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, which seals us for the day of redemption, and the Lord added her to the church. So I wonder if you classify yourself as a liar, do you still classify yourself as a saved person if you're not even baptized for the remission of your sins? You see, if you're baptized and a Christian, the blood of Christ will continue to wash over you even when you sin if there's remorse, if there's repentance, if, there's, if you ask for forgiveness. But if you're not a Christian, if you haven't even been baptized to be added to the church... What did God say about those who are liars? He says, you're like an abomination in my sight. Unless you're washed with the blood of Jesus Christ, unless you're washed with the blood of my son, you're, well, repulsive in my sight. You know, some people might say, but this is a little firm. This is a little, you know, these are the kids we're talking to here. But shouldn't we be honest with them about maybe where they're at spiritually speaking? And this is a question, and this is a conversation that I hope the parents will have with the children when they leave here today. And I hope some of our parents that, that are, are on vacation or are traveling right now, I hope that some of us would encourage them to make sure they listen to this lesson with their kids. There's another one I want to show you in the New Testament. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 21 and verse 8, I want you to see what God says here. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, the immoral, talking about sexually immoral, persons, sorcerers, idolaters, and what does it say? All liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see, brethren, we're all going to die spirit, we're all going to die physically, but you get to decide whether you're going to live on spiritually or you're going to die spiritually. You see, brothers and sisters. As we look at what the Bible says as New Testament Christians, there can be no mistake that God hates liars. He hates the sin of lying. And with that being the case, if we are going to be right with God, we need to make sure that we change our perspective on how we look at the sin of lying. We have to make sure that we change our perspective on how, and really how we evaluate our lives. So we need to start looking at lying and what God has to say. But how do we define lying? Well, if you look to define lying, Webster's Dictionary defines it as to speak falsehood with an intention to deceive. To speak falsehood with an intention to deceive, to cause a false impression, to present a misleading appearance. Brethren, ask yourself, is it possible for a person to lie without actually saying the words? Is it possible to lie without actually saying the words? Do you know that sometimes people will bend over backwards in order to lead someone to believe something that is not true, but they will not actually say the words, and then afterwards they'll say, but I didn't lie. You know what that's talking about? It's talking about deception. Do you know that's why in the court of law, when people get in trouble with the law, they hire lawyers, do they not? And that is why when people meet with the lawyers before they go to testify, that the lawyers show them and teach them how to give a false impression without perjuring themselves. Can you tell a lie without actually saying the words? And the answer is yes. 
So brothers and sisters, I felt the need to talk about dishonesty this morning because it is woven into almost every aspect of society. I just showed you, or just told you what the definition for lying is. You think about everything that's going on in society. You think about many of these, uh, these worldly ideologies, right? Uh, about genders and sexuality and all the, all the politics and the talking heads on the national news stations who always take things out of context. They'll always show you, I don't care if you're on the right or if you're on the left or what channel you watch, they'll take one little clip out of a 30-minute speech and they'll try to do what? Give a false impression of something. Well, what did they just do? They deceived. They lied. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to understand that Deceit and lying is so rampant throughout society, it's no wonder that God calls it an abomination. That God says all liars are repulsive in his sight. I wonder if that's why, one of the reasons why, there are few who will find the road, right? The gate is narrow and the, uh, and the, and the road is broad that leads to death. The, the gate is narrow that leads to life. I wonder if that's the reason why few will find it. You see, brothers and sisters... Lying, dishonesty affects all of us at one time or another. And to answer the question, why talk about dishonesty? Well, I guess it just depends on who your advocate is and who your adversary is. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, in 1 John in chapter 2 and verse 1, the scriptures tell us that Jesus is our advocate, does it not? We also know in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, we know we learn that Satan is our adversary roaming around seeking somebody to devour. But in the scriptures, as you study it out, we know that Jesus, the Lord Jesus, in, in, in John 14 and 6, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Why? Because he's our advocate. If you wish to attain heaven, you have to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And if Jesus isn't the Lord of your life and you live a worldly life, well, then who is your advocate? There's only two choices. It's either God or Satan. Which one is your advocate and which one is your adversary? If you live for one, then it makes the other the adversary. And so, brothers and sisters, notice what Jesus says here in John chapter 8 and verse 44 as we look at another passage. Now, in context here, Jesus is speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees. But I want you to see what Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees. He says, you are of your father, the devil. He's talking about the spiritual leaders, people who think they're spiritual, people who think they're saved, if you will, people who think they're right in God's eyes. He's speaking to the spiritual leaders of Judaism. Notice what Jesus says to them. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He who was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Brothers and sisters, did Jesus mince any words there? You see, brethren, these are people who thought they were spiritual. These are people who thought they were religious. People who probably thought they were, well, good in God's eyes. And yet, what did Jesus have to say? Satan introduced lies into the world all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. You remember when he uh, had that conversation with Eve about the fruit? Brethren, ask yourself, when we are dishonest, who are we following? Also ask yourself, when we are honest, who are we following? You see, brothers and sisters, answering those questions, you will see why honesty is imperative to God. 
You'll see why the concept of honesty is crucial to a holy and righteous God. Just as you like, just, just as all of us don't like to be lied to, God also doesn't like to be lied to. In fact, the scriptures tell us in Hebrews chapter 6 and 18 that God isn't capable of lying. It says it's impossible for God to lie. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, the scriptures say, it, says of, it speaks of a Christian's eternal life and eternal salvation, saying that God that cannot lie, he promised it long ago, even before the worlds began. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we can absolutely trust God. We can count on what God says, but he cannot because he cannot and will not lie because he can't violate his own nature. You see why God hates liars? Do you see why lying is repulsive in his sight? God promises, God's promises are true, whether they were made yesterday or whether they were made thousands of years ago. For every promise in the Bible will come to pass. When God says and God promises, promises eternal life to the faithful, it will come to pass. When God promises eternal punishment to the wicked, those who are sinners, those who don't repent, those who don't obey, those who don't make Jesus the Lord of their life, when he says that you are going to receive eternal punishment, you will. Because it's a promise that he made. Brethren, lying without repentance and lying without forgiveness leads to the second death, as we've seen earlier in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. Even lying in life and death situations is opposed by God. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot or unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. You see, brothers and sisters, your soul, your salvation, they matter more than your physical body. They matter more than your physical life. And you should never trade your soul or trade salvation for any material thing that this world has to offer. We learn about that. Jesus speaks about that in Matthew chapter 16. You see, brothers and sisters, lies, they damage, damage us as what? They damage us spiritually. They damage us physically, emotionally, and even financially at times. And once trust is broken, how long does it take to repair? When you've broken your parents' trust, when you've broken your wife's or your husband's trust, how long does it take to repair the damage that has been done? I'm here to tell you it takes a long period of time to truly, really gain back that trust. And when, you've known to be, when you're known to be a person of dis dishonesty, when you're known to be a deceitful individual, people begin to pull away from you. They begin to pull away from you, and, 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 be, and they're much less likely to help you. They're much less likely to, to help you or to um, do something for you in a time of need because they don't even know if you're telling the truth. They don't know if they can trust you. So make no mistake, brethren, your sin will find you out. How many passages of Scripture do we have in uh, in the Bible that, that tells us and shows us that your sin will find you out. And even if your sin doesn't find you out in this life, you can rest assured your sin will find you out in the next life. You see, brothers and sisters, 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 tells us that we are going to stand before a holy and righteous God and we're going to give an account of our lives for everything we've ever said and everything we've ever done. And so as I get ready to close this lesson down, brethren, right now I implore our teens, I implore our middle schoolers, if you have not obeyed the gospel, 
And if you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, please consider the consequences of your choices. Because the truth is, you are no longer in a saved state if you willfully lie, willfully gossip, willfully slander, sexually active. And you say, why do you say that, Dave, sexually Well, if you haven't noticed, many of the high school kids, even middle school kids, sometimes even elementary kids now are beginning to be sexually active. And these are things that, that the church used to be, well, those are conversations for maybe the older teens. I'm here to tell you those things are happening in the schools. Ask any of the teachers around you. Talk to your kids about what's happening in the schools, and you'll very quickly understand that there are many of these sins that are taking place amongst the children regularly. And so the question that you have to ask for yourself, if you're in that 7th through 12th grade or 7th through 12th grade uh, uh, age group and you're not baptized and you've done many of these things, you've lied and you deceived and you gossiped and you slandered and you bullied. And those are many of the things that kind of really make up of what's going on in the life of a teen. Because they're pushing the boundaries, as that study said. Because they're trying riskier behaviors. And they're trying to kind of fit in. And so maybe they're befriend, befriending individuals that, well, maybe they shouldn't befriend because they're bad examples. And so if that is you and you've done these things, and I'm here to tell you it only takes one sin to separate us from God. And if you're in that boat, well, then you're no longer pure in God's eyes. You're no longer automatically saved because you grew up in a Christian home. If you're no longer in a safe state... When you willfully ignore your parents' rules and God's moral judgment, Jesus Christ is the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. If you're no longer in a safe state and you wish to make Jesus the Lord of your life, then brothers and sisters, you could do that today. You could come up here this morning and be baptized for the remission of your sins. But please do not deceive yourself by thinking uh, that simply believing God's word is enough. No, you have to believe and obey. And in order to be in the church, to receive forgiveness of sins, you have to be baptized. Otherwise, you're, no, you're not a member of the Lord's church. I don't care if you attend service every day or every week for the rest of your life. You have to be baptized into Christ. You have to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that seals us for the day of redemption. Do not deceive yourself by thinking, you know what, but I'm a good person. Well, brethren, I'm here to tell you. That, and I've said this before in Bible studies, i said it in worship services, your minister, the guy that stands up here, me, who stands up before you every single week, I've told many lies. And I deceived people. And I was sexually immoral. And I did many of the things that God calls an abomination. And if I would have died before I found out that I was an abomination in his sight, I would have been lost for eternity, suffering in torments. I wish somebody would have told me earlier on in life that the things I were doing it showed me with scripture the things that I was doing caused me to be separated from a holy and righteous God. There's only one way I was able to rectify the situation. To be baptized for the remission of my sins. To live faithfully unto God. To, have, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And to transform my mind with the word of God. So I could start to remove all of the sin from my life. But it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. But the first step is asking Jesus uh, to, to not asking Jesus, but making Jesus the Lord of your life. By wanting to be baptized so your sins can be washed away. If any of you are here today and you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that's the first step. The second step is having the courage to come forward 
and to be baptized, to be added to the Lord's church. I give you that opportunity now as we stand and sing the song of invitation.